Hey guys, real quick, before we get started, I have a small request. If you've been blessed by our content and you like this show, would you take just a brief moment and leave us a five-star review? This is quite possibly the most effective thing that you can do to ensure that this content gets out to as many people as possible. Thanks. All right, welcome to another episode of Theology Applied. I'm your host, Pastor Joel Webin with Right Response Ministries, and I am very privileged to have returning as a guest, Samuel Say. He is at Slow to Write. That's his handle. That's what he goes by when it comes to Twitter. Also with his blog, you can follow the things that he's writing. And he's actually going to be coming out. I think he talks about this at the end of our episode a little bit, but he's uh, in the near future, him and his wife are going to be launching their own podcast. He's always been, you know, working through a writing format. He's a wonderful writer writer, um, but uh, we, we need video and we need audio and we need all the different formats and all the different forms that we can get. So be on the lookout for that. Samuel Say and his wife launching a new podcast in the near future. But if you want to hear Samuel Say right now, well, then just stay tuned because he's our special guest for this episode. Oh, hi. I didn't see you there. Thanks for sticking around. I've got an important announcement to make. That's the Theonomy and Postmillennialism Conference 2023. May 5th, 6th, and 7th, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, Theonomy and Postmillennialism. We've got the speakers that we've already had lined up. That's Dr. James White, Dr. Joseph Boot, Dr. Gary DeMar, non-doctor Pastor Joel Webin, but we also have a bonus speaker, and that is Dale Partridge from Real Christianity. Perhaps you've heard of him. If not, you should start listening to his podcast. It's fantastic. Dale Partridge is going to be joining our team. We're going to have live panels on Friday night and Saturday night where you'll be able to write in questions and get them answered. We're also going to have a catered barbecue Texas-style barbecue meal on Friday that's a part of your registration fee. All that is covered. So you need to get that. This is how you do it. Go and register right now at rightresponseconference.com. Again, that's rightresponseconference.com. God bless. Applying God's Word to every aspect of life. This is Theology Applied. All right, I am joined, uh, I believe for maybe the second or third time, I can't remember, but returning special guest, uh, friend, we got to do a conference together a couple months ago, but we are joined by Samuel Say. Samuel, thanks for coming on the show. It's an honor, thank you. Great to see you. All right, so we got some uh, questions. What we're doing is we're, we're trying something new. We're leading our audience you know, ahead of recording these episodes and saying, hey, if you were in the room with Samuel Say, are there any questions that you would like to ask him? And so uh, I'm going to take a few of these different questions that we got in. Obviously, we're not going to ask all of them, but I got about four or five questions that I thought were good. And so uh, I'm going to just start with these. And then there's some things that I know you and I want to talk about. One of them is Candace Owens and Dave Rubin and that kind of situation going on. Um, And you wrote an article about that recently that's gotten a lot of attention. I think you've got some good things to say. So let's go ahead and start with a couple questions first. Uh, First one, this is probably going to be the most difficult. Um, It's something that's serious. It may even be uncomfortable for you to talk about, but Backstreet or NSYNC? (laughs) Um, I am a huge, which is why I'm guessing the person who's asking me that. It is, you know, it's, it might seem strange because I have a lot of these, I guess, hot takes on social media. But the biggest hot take I have is that NSYNC should be nowhere near um, as esteemed as the greatest band of all time, mm-hmm. the Bastard Boys. Okay. Um, so absolutely, I'm a Bastard Boys fan over NSYNC. 
All right. So I thought I was talking to a fellow conservative, but apparently I'm talking to somebody who's gay. So, Mr. Mr. Why are you gay? <laughs> the only reason why I got married was so that I could I could get rid of those rumors. Okay. You know, from, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you can keep loving the Backstreet Boys, but uh, <laughs> but say, hey, I'm I'm a heterosexual married man. Um, okay. So here's the next question. This one's a little bit more serious. Uh, which place looks like it's headed in an even more depraved direction first, the U.S. or Canada? Yeah. So the the person asking the uh, the question has to be American. <laughs> because because if if this person was a Canadian, there's no way to be asking that question. Um, sadly, uh, you know, my nation in Canada is significantly um, ahead uh, of America when it comes to the speed with with which they are um, you know progressing mm-hmm. um, or regressing towards just um, more totalitarianism and and, and evil. Um, but absolutely, it's 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 not even close to be honest with you. As bad as America is, uh, America right now is where Canada was about 10, 15 years ago. Right. Um, so, yeah, it's I mean, both nations are headed in very, very you know bad and concerning directions. But unfortunately, Canada is worse. Yes, I would agree um, with that. You know, I think America is in a bad spot, um, but it's encouraging the sense that I think one of the reasons why America is not as depraved as some other Western nations, um, I mean, it is in some regards. I mean, some some of the the abortion uh, legislation is, you know, like makes um, European countries look conservative. Yeah, you know I mean, like most European countries, it's like you know, twelve to fifteen weeks, maybe at most in some cases, like twenty four weeks. Um, but you know, America is very progressive and and you know, demented in regards to abortion laws. But even with that, you know, there's there's this silver lining of hope and it's not a small silver lining, the fact that Roe was overturned. And so I feel like America is is in a, I, I wouldn't say headed in a, in a wrong direction. I would say it's in a bad place, but yeah. actually I think there's a lot of hope for it actually heading in a better direction. I actually feel like we, the left kind of overplayed its hand globally, you know, all in nations all around the world. But I feel like the U.S., um, a lot of people, you know, kind of were like, no, sir, uh-uh, no. Yeah. And and so yeah. now I feel like there's like some some pretty serious pushback. And I'm curious to see what happens um, with the, well, the election that we have coming up um, yeah, in absolutely. 2022. All right, yeah. here's uh, another one for you. This one might be a little too open-ended, but here it goes. How should Christians view their ancestry? And should this inform how we raise our children? So what... Uh, in other words, what should be the role of our families, traditions, and culture in our parenting? Yeah, there's a, there's a lot there, but hopefully I answer the question adequately. Uh, I, I, I'm assuming that question is coming from a, um, a tweet that I had earlier today um, where um, I said something about how I love my skin color. I love that I'm black, um, you know, because God made me fearfully and wonderfully black. And that I also love my ancestry. And the same should be true for anybody. Anyone should say the same thing too. We all feel, we're all fearfully and wonderfully made. Um, so I can say that I'm, I can't say I'm proud that I'm black because I had nothing to do with it, but I love being black and that, um, you know, you as well. So obviously should love being, you know, white or, or whatever the actual skin color is. It's not exactly white, nor am I really black, but nevertheless, right. um, 
no one's perfectly white except for maybe like some Swedish dudes, you know, and nobody's perfectly black except for maybe Wesley Snipes. You know what I mean? Like, like, you know, so everybody else is just some, you know, there's a scale between like, yeah, yeah. like I don't know, Greta Thunberg and Wesley Snipes and everybody else is somewhere in between. <laughs> yes. Yes. No. Um, I lost track now with the question. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, 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 that's not your- <laughs> that was good. That was good. But I think it's um how sorry yeah can you please uh, repeat the well you were just saying I'm happy to be black and so the question was like how should Christians view their ancestry right yeah and and should this inform our parenting yeah I think it's by rejoicing in God's grace and providence through which we were created or or established uh, you know in His image in that you know. Obviously, look, I, I rejoice that I my great, great, great grandfather obviously would be Adam and then Noah and then all the way through my my Ghanaian or my tribe in Ghana would be the Akan tribe. And then also within that tribe, also the Fanti tribe. And that means a lot to me. And, you know, in Revelations 5, uh, we know that God boasts that in heaven there will be a multitude of people of different tribes. We see the Apostle Paul uh, you know, rejoicing and boasting over the fact that not he's boasting in the Lord, obviously, but that he is grateful and that he is not ashamed that he's a Jew. Right. You know, so um, we should absolutely appreciate God's providence and his blessing through our ancestry, um, not in a way that would lead to, of course, supremacist thinking, uh, right. obviously, um, for either camp, right? Because unfortunately, there are some people out there who are black supremacists uh, who believe that our black DNA or our melanin makes us superior to um, other other so-called races. Although there's no such thing as different races, only one there's only one race. Right. Nevertheless, we can rejoice in God's providence and His creation in terms of how we teach our children um, or how we raise kids. That's interesting. Well, I'm not a parent, but one of the things that I plan to do is. Um, since I am fascinated by my ancestry and my wife's ancestry, my wife is is a white woman. Um, her her um, you know she has Dutch ancestry, and I love that, especially especially because it was actually the Dutch who initially colonized Ghana, my people, before the British. Mm. And I want to talk about that history. I want to talk about God's providence and how God brought um, Christians, Dutch Christians, to come to Ghana to preach the gospel, which eventually led to my ancestors being saved. And now my wife and I, though we have different histories, we have the same Lord. I want to teach my children about that. Mm. I want to teach my children that they are not really mixed, right? That they are one race. Uh, you know, the black, you know, their skin color is not who they are. It's just one of their features. Um, so um, I think in terms of how we raise children, just teach the history, uh, but yeah, letting them know that, of course, that again, because um, uh, sadly today, we, you know, we teach children today that, you know, you're white, you're black, you're this, and this shapes who you are, this shapes, this shapes your, you know, your standing socially, all that stuff is of course, is of course junk. Teach them the history, but primarily in that it's in the word of God so that we can we can we can boast in the gospel where all of us one day will stand before God in different languages and in different uh, uh, different um, tribes and ethnicities and rejoicing in the gospel. 
Amen. Yeah, there's nothing inherently superior or inferior in regards to skin pigment or ethnicity, but there is something to be said for cultures, and cultures tend to form around certain tribes and ethnic people. And cultures, all all skin pigment, all ethnicity is equal, but not all cultures are equal. And so uh, to be able to say, here's our ancestry, and here's the culture of our ancestors, and be able to be proud, not in an arrogant way, but, you know, like I'm proud to be an American, um, be able to be proud about the things in that culture that honor the Lord, the things that align with the scripture. Right. Because it, it's it's we're not standpoint epistemologists. We're not it's, it's not relativism. We have a transcendent universal standard, God's word, God's law. And so to be able to say this is our ancestry and and here are the, the problems. Um, but here were some of the virtues by God's grace, you know, because of the gospel coming to bear with our culture or even some of the virtues by God's common grace. These are because because all people are created in the image of God and instinctively there's the conscience within. And here's how some of our ancestors got it right before even hearing the gospel in their outward deeds and behaviors and some of these aspects of our culture. And so we're proud about this and we want to we want to uh, hold on to this and preserve this. We don't want it just to to fade away because. Here's the thing, like one of the things that I've been thinking about is like there. what you're saying with Revelation 5 is, you know, God boasts, you know, um, of the diversity of heaven, um, every tribe, tongue and language, which really doesn't put, a, you know, a lot of emphasis on um, God's not so much boasting about all the colors of the rainbow being represented <laughs> in terms of ethnicity, but it's more so uh, language and tribe and ancestry and and culture um, and language, you know, tongue and these kinds of distinctives. Um, and there is a variety. Um, and and this is a good thing that God celebrates. And, and so my point is, um, I think that um, there is there is an argument to be made about um, about saying that uh, th- there's a beauty in the distinctiveness of the one human race. Um, there's a beauty about the distinctions, um, the, the manifold wisdom of God, as we see it between multiple tribes. Like, you know, w- we have a story in the Bible, namely Genesis chapter 11, where um, where people tried to forego uh, the cultural man- mandate of being fruit- fruitful, multiplying, and filling the earth, subduing the earth. And they said, you know, let, let us um, make a name for ourselves and build a great tower. Let's congregate here so that we are not yeah. spread out over the face of the earth. Um, and there's a sameness there. And uh, and God says th- that's not good. And, and it's God's punishing first and foremost their arrogance that they could ascend to heaven with this tower and be as God. Um, that's that's predominant in in this narrative, but but I think secondarily we could say, but there's also a pro- problem um, that that God wanted um, distinct peoples, um, and and so to to say we want to preserve um, ancestry and and history and. Um, cultures and these kinds of things. And we want to preserve those things within cultures that um, vary, um, but are still in line with God's transcendent standard, because there are certain things about cultures. And I know that this is controversial, but, you know, people say like, that's where it gets into, you know, this, this hatred of whiteness, you know, it's like, well, the scientific method, you know, that's, that's not, uh, that's not universally moral or or good or right. That's just uh that's just a relative thing. And and there are other ways of of ascertaining truth. And it's like, no, that that's called objectivity. That's you know, or or promptness, right? Like I, you know, 
there are you know certain cultures where promptness doesn't matter, and there may be an argument to be made at some level. Um, but if but if the lack of promptness um, stems from ultimately just a disrespect of other people's time, well then that's not a virtue, and 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 we don't need to preserve those things. We need to say, hey, you know what? Out of respect for others, let's let's be on time, unless there's a reasonable argument to be made to the contrary. And so we're, we're celebrating the distinctiveness of cultures, um, but only insofar is is those certain aspects of the culture are indeed virtues rather yeah. than vices. And what determines whether or not something is virtuous is the yeah. ultimate transcendent standard of God's word. What do you Amen. think? Yeah, you you know you you mentioned earlier that what you were saying would be controversial. Well, in light of that, I guess let me add one more controversial. All right, go for it. This, you know, this is something that I've been thinking a lot about. Uh, I've always believed this, but especially after Queen Elizabeth's death and all the hot takes being said about the British monarchy's role in colonialism and everything. Mm -hmm. And you know, um, in terms of some cultures, while we rejoice that, you know, we have different cultures, we have different people, therefore different cultures. Um, we then, that means then it's, it's a fact that some cultures are better than others. And I can tell you that, look, as, as oppressive as the colonials were in some aspects, not completely, but in some aspects in Ghana, uh, where my people truly did suffer in many ways, I also rejoice that since they had a better culture, they stopped um, rampant paganism in in Ghana, where child sacrifices are almost completely, not entirely, but almost completely erased from our culture. So while I rejoice over my ancestry, I can also acknowledge that because my ancestors are also um, sinful people like I am, but since they did not believe the gospel and they were pagans, they had a certain culture that was evil. And even, even the Western culture, which is also, of course, tainted by evil, right. they, you know, they, you know, they also, um, they had some aspects of it was a better culture, which is why now Ghana is better off, right. you know, surprisingly, um, even with colonialism, because God, of course, will sometimes use some evil to to um, you know to uh, to bring about good, and we know that of course, of course throughout biblical history. But another thing is this, um, you know, one of the things that when we talk about Revelation five, and people always abuse that text in ways that really upset me. Um, and again, not to promote my blog here, but I'm planning on writing a blog that I've been really kind of preparing for 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 several years. Um, but it's when people try to bring Revelations 5 into the local church. And what I mean by that is they, they say that, yeah, don't see Revelations 5, your church is supposed to look like that. And I, 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 I struggle to contain how much that angers me mm -hmm. because God is boasting saying, see, look at all these people from all the different, all the different, uh, parts of the world throughout history that I have saved. They have different languages, they have different ethnicities, and they are in heaven. Right. Your local church is not heaven. Mm -hmm. It's not. Right. The universal church is 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 you know um diverse. The universal church is diverse. Diverse, yes. But 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 your local church doesn't have to be. If it is, praise God. If it's not, praise God. 
right? I, I have left, when I, when I left Toronto um, eight months ago to come to uh, the church that I'm in now, I'm the second Black person in my church. It is very different from the church I was in where the white people were basically the minority. It's mm-hmm. very different. But you know what? It's the same gospel, and we are worshiping in, 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 in spirit and truth, and that's all that matters. So it troubles me when people try to make their church a heaven, basically, in terms of wanting to boast in themselves about how diverse their church is. Right. And and here's the thing, like the hypocrisy is is <laughs> it's it's uh, dense because we, we wouldn't do that with any other nation. Right. Like we would never go to Ghana and say, oh, my, this Christian church in Ghana, it's, you know, it's kind of like nothing but black people seems a little racist. You know, like we'd be like, no, you're it's Ghana, dude. Like what? Like, you know, like if there's a, you know, like Vodi, Vodi Bakum and, you know, Conrad and Bayway, you know, like I, I imagine I haven't been, but I imagine that predominantly their church is going to be black because of where it's located in Zambia. And so that like and so when you come now, I understand that, that you know, it falls apart a little bit. It's not a one to one ratio because America is um, much more ethnic. Um, ethnically diverse, um, but but nobody's planting. Is my church isn't um, um, America's church? You know, you know what I mean. My church is a, a local church. America's a pretty pretty big map. Uh, my church is a, a Georgetown, Texas church, right? So so the diversity um, at, at a national level um, of America is not going to be reflected in my church because I don't have people commuting, um, from, from 1300 miles away. So the question is, what, what is Georgia, uh, uh or, or Georgetown, not Georgia, but Georgetown, Texas, what, what does that look like? And, um, and, and are we an accurate reflection of, of where we actually are? And, but even with that, um, I, you know, I would say that, that that's a great thing. I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but I also don't think there's something wrong with the absence of that. So even if you are in a place that is, um, let's, let's say it's 30% black and it's, you know, 20% Latino and it's 50% white. Um, I don't think you have to have that exact ratio represented in your local church, just because that's the ratio of your city. You, you may, for whatever reason, um, still have a, a, a majority of, of Latinos and, and a minority of white or majority of white and, and minority of Latinos. And part of that just is, is just naturally the way that relationships form uh, the community that's there. It's like, it's the one gospel. It's the one Christian faith passed down to the saints through the ages. Um, but, but there is a sense of, of, the, uh, just the makeup and the community and the culture of the church and the natural relationships and friendships that people have. Like if you start, if you plant a church with 20 white people um, and, and they're inviting their friends and, and if the majority of their friends and family are also white people, then you're going to have okay. majority white. Ch- and, and here's the thing. We it's, it's always one way. It's so hypocritical because you can be in a place where the city is actually 80% white, but have black churches. And no yeah. one says a word ab- about that. What, what are your thoughts on that, Samuel? And you know, about that, not, not even just that. So I was raised in what some would call the black church. Um, you know, not just in Ghana, where obviously every church is black. But I mean, in Toronto, which is one of the most multi-ethnic cities in the entire world, where I think over half of the population were not born in, in Canada. Um, I was raised, you know, for... 10 years, I was raised in what someone called a black church, but I would actually call that a West African church because it was primarily Ghanaian, 
but you had different kinds of West Africans and even you know other African nations uh, more towards East or South or Central, and then Caribbean people are there too. So someone were to just come into the church and say, "Oh, it's a black church," but we never called it that. We just called it, "Well, it's an African church," because you have different kinds of black people mm-hmm. in this church. Well, in the same way, it applies to the so-called average white church too, because as we said earlier. Our, our ethnicity is not shaped by our skin color. So you can have white people, you know, whatever that means, who have the same skin color, but they have different ethnicities. They have different ancestry. So in a way, there's no such thing as a black church and no such thing as a white church, right? Because we are not shaped. I am not, like when I'm in heaven, I mean, it may sound strange how I would say it, but when I think of my ethnicity, it's not as a black person, it's as a Fonte or an Akan from Ghana. That's my tribal group, right? Right, right? The same way a white person's ethnicity is not their skin color, mm-hmm. it is their ancestry. Right. Which And you have different white people who have different ethnicities. So the whole thing is absurd. So in a sense, every white church is ethnically diverse. If right. we believe in what the Bible says in Revelation 5, we know that they're ethnically diverse. Because again, our ethnicity is not shaped by skin color. That's a really good point. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, l- let me ask you this. Okay, so I- I'm thinking of like Romans 9, where Paul, you know, he he prefaces his argument by saying... Um, you know, he's, he just talks about his natural affection, I think is probably, I think the theological term that I would use natural affections, um, which you have to be careful with that, right? Because we also, you know, um, for those who aren't in Christ, for an unbeliever, you will, you also have the sin nature. So um, not everything that's natural, um, naturally aligns with the things of God. That's why we must be born again and and have a new nature and be call, become new creatures in Christ Jesus. And so, um, but there is still an argument to be made from nature. That's Romans chapter one, right? So by natural revelation, uh, the, the creation itself speaks. It says something about God and it says something true about God. Um, uh, but, but it doesn't communicate everything about God, right? We need special revelation, not just natural revelation, but special revelation to understand uh, and comprehend the, the things of the gospel. So there's natural revelation, um, but then there's also natural affections. And Paul talks about his affections for his, his fellow um, Jewish people. He says, my kinsmen right? My kinsmen, according to the flesh. And he says, I would be willing to be, um, to be cut off, eternally cut off for their sake. And, and as far as I know, there's no other place in any of Paul's writings, which make up approximately two thirds of the new Testament, uh, where like Paul clearly loves the Gentiles. He, he loves the Corinthians. He loves the Ephesians. He loves the Philippians. He loves, you know, all these different people. Um, but, but he never says of any other people group, um, I'd be willing to go to hell for them. He reserves that language exclusively for his kinsmen according, and he even spells it out in case anybody was wondering. Um, he's not making a spiritual argument. He, he says, my kinsmen according to the flesh that he has. Um, and and it's, he has, a, what I'm saying is he has a particular affection and priority of loves, right? Augustine talks about priority of loves and, and those for, for his for his kinsmen according to the flesh. And I think, you know, when I think of racism, and maybe you could help me with it, just defining the term. When I think of racism, I, I think of um, 
you know, it, it it is favorite. So, you know, like we're not called to sh- show favoritism. James says we shouldn't show it based off of socioeconomic status, right? Uh, favoring the rich rather than the poor, because the rich, the elites, they're usually the ones who are throwing us in prison, you know? So, you know, and has God not chosen the poor of this world uh, to be rich in faith? Um, and we're also not, not called to show favoritism um, in terms of, uh, you know, rich and poor, um, but, but also um, I had another example. Let, let me just skip it. But, but, uh, but what I was going to uh, say is, are there any forms of favoritism that that are acceptable? Because because what I'm getting at is, I think it's one thing to um, to view someone negatively, to think um, to think little of someone based off of some kind of outward appearance. Um, but but I don't see the Apostle Paul saying that. I don't see the Apostle Paul saying that that um, Gentiles. Um, I I have an aversion towards Gentiles, or I have a lack of love towards Gentiles. Uh, this is the same Paul who said, "Is often as you have opportunity in Galatians, as op- often as you have opportunity, do good to all, out of a love for all, but especially the household of faith." So so what he's saying is there's a priority of loves, and it doesn't mean that we don't love someone. It means we love everyone, but we still have to prioritize. I love my wife more than other women. I love my kids more than my neighbor's kids. And 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 I love my country more yeah. than I love other countries. And I think yeah. to do anything else is actually ironically sin. Yeah. And yeah. and and it seems like like only in America and mm-hmm. only with white people yeah. in America uh, do yeah. we think it's a virtue to hate ourselves do you know and so paul's prioritizing i think of john knox right give me scotland lest i die because he's a scotsman he doesn't say give me germany lest i die like so is that racist that he's he's praying a special prayer for scotland what what do you think (laughs) i'm smiling as you're as you're saying all that because the the, i'm enjoying this conversation this is (laughs) good and i you know it's it's interesting because i I agree with everything you just said you know, I might, so what I'm going to say might sound shocking to people, but don't worry. My wife knows this. It's, and it shouldn't be controversial. It shouldn't be weird whatsoever. So as I said before, my wife is a white woman. Mm-hmm. She knows generally the kind of woman that I was originally attracted to would be a black woman. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right? Yeah. right. Like, it, you know, it's, which might surprise people who think that I'm an Uncle Tom or something, you know, they're like, well, you have a white wife, they sit, but whatever. Um, and not just even a, not just even a black woman, but a Ghanaian woman, mm-hmm. because that's my, I grew up, I'm, I'm a Ghanaian. I grew up mostly around Ghanaians. It's only natural, mm-hmm. right? On top of that, my friends, and this is, uh, you know, to bring the my Ghanaian and Canadian, you know, um, nationality together. You know, now, now that I've moved to, a small, you know, they call it a small city here, but it's a small town, man. It's, it's not a city. It's a very small town. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, in, in Toronto, where there are a lot of Ghanaian Canadians there. And a Ghanaian Canadian, of course, has a lot of similarities with Ghanaians, but differences because they are also Canadian. Mm-hmm. I miss Ghanaian Canadians a lot. Mm. And that, are, I will say it, it's, it's not racist, it's not wrong. My favorite kind of person is a Ghanaian Canadian because I'm a Ghanaian Canadian and I have a special love for Ghanaians and Canadians. When you combine the two, I have a special love for Ghanaian Canadians. Right. right? So it, it's there's so, you know, so, so the question being, is it racist to have some kind of a favoritism towards a certain kinds of person? 
you know, in, in, in generally, so as you said, obviously if it's to uh, harm somebody else, right? If you are discriminating against somebody else, if you're showing partiality against someone else, where you're choosing not to love someone because of who they are, that's sin. Mm. But at the same time, you know, uh, so uh, um, as you said with, um, uh, oh man, how am I forgetting his name? Uh, the reformer, John Knox. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's nothing wrong with having a special love for certain kinds of people. Again, it's one thing, racism is hate, right? It's hate towards another right. person. Right. right. You can love people more than others, right? Mm-hmm. If you love some people, then you hate others. That's, that's sinful. That's racism. And, and to be a Christian, it seems like you have to love some people more than others. Like I am yeah. commanded to love my wife exactly. more than others. I'm commanded to love my children more mm-hmm. than others. I'm commanded to honor my mother and father more yes. than I honor other mothers and fathers. So it, it, there has to be a place for that. Yeah. And we're also called to love Christians more than non-Christians. That's right. I was going to bring that up. It, it, that, yeah. and is that not favoritism, right? So so do all. It, um, as often as you have opportunity, do good to all, but especially the, the household of faith. So the heck, uh, second half of that verse is, you could read it as, but prioritize the household of faith. And why does Paul even feel the necessity to, to bring um, an order of affections and priorities into play? Um, because, not, not because of fallenness, the sinfulness of man, uh, but because of finitude, the creatureliness of men, meaning um, as often as you have opportunity to do good to all, but but implicitly what Paul's saying is, um, but you're not going to have the opportunity to do good to all. Why? Um, because you're a sinner? No, because you're a creature. It's not fallenness, it's finitude. You, uh, Christ, who is head of the church, is infinite, but his body, the church here on earth, is finite. Its resources are finite. It has a finite number of people, a finite number of dollars, a finite number of, of hours in the day, and all these kinds of things. And so we must, we are told to prioritize. So you could literally say uh, that in Galatians, Paul is saying, um, show favoritism towards the people of God. So it, it's not just favoritism in, in any of its forms that the Bible actually demonizes as sin, uh, because there is a good kind of favoritism that's not only permissible, but actually commanded. But then there's, so, so I feel like what James is saying is not all favoritism is sin. Um, I think he's saying, don't show sinful favoritism and, and, and favor, um, um, uh, prioritizing someone based off of economic status yeah. over someone else is a yeah. sinful form of favoritism. Yeah. Yeah. If, if I, if I just naturally love Ghanaians or Canadians more than Americans, for example, that's not sinful or wrong. But if I am if I am unwilling to love an American because they are an American, that's sinful. But if my heart is just naturally right, not because I think Canadians are better than Americans, not because I think Ghanaians are better than Americans, right? right? If I'm just if I just happen to have a special love for Ghanaians and Canadians, where I'm saying, you know what, these are the people that I just I just tend to relate better with. Mm-hmm. That's there's nothing wrong with that. And but it's again, because it's not because you're saying they're better people. You're saying they're my people. They're yes, my people. Exactly. The difference is, of course, is that a lot of people can twist that into having supremacist thinking or partiality right. where well, that's a very different thing right where the apostle paul was preaching the gospel to the gentiles so he was not discriminated against the gentiles whatsoever 
But again, as you said, he had a special love for the Jews, where he says that he would be willing himself to be a curse because of his people. That's right. a special love. I mean, if you're willing to be, you know, to face the wrath of God for a certain group, that's clearly a special love. Not just that's love, special. but a special love. That's right. right. Where he does not have that kind of love for a Gentile. Does it, again, he loves the Gentiles, obviously right. he's preaching the gospel, but he has a unique special love for the Jews, the same way that I have a special, now I'm not saying that I love my people the way that the Apostle Paul loves his people, right, yeah. but but I do love Ghanaians and Canadians just more right. because that's who I am, right? right? So, and over time, you know, so Ghanaians and Canadians, but um, you were born and, and raised at least, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the, f- the first uh, nine years or 11 years of years. your life in Ghana, what was it? 10 um, years. 10? 10 years, yeah, in Ghana, yeah. yeah. So your first 10 years, but but I, I like what you're saying, and I just want to point this out to our audience. You're not saying my favorite kind of person is uh, Ghanaian. You're saying my favorite kind of person is, um, is a Canadian Ghanaian because you spent 10 years in Ghana, but then you also spent how many years in Canada? 25 years. 25 years. And, and this is the point that I want to make. Um, now, and I'm saying this for our audience, I'm also saying this as a, a pastoral charge to you, Samuel. Um, when we talk 10 years from now, I want to hear you say my favorite kind of person <laughs> is, is a, an American-Canadian Ghanaian because um, I think there's something to say, these are my people because it's where I'm from. But there's yeah. also, I think of Ruth, where, where she's, she's entering in now to a yeah. new people. And she yeah. says, from now on, uh, yeah. Your people will be my people and your God yeah. will be my God. And so it's like, all right, so so you have a special place in your heart for uh, for Canadian Ghanaians, um, but you live in America now. And so I want to see you eating apple pie and I want to see, you know, but and over. But here's the thing, like, um, it's not just like a command to do it. It's it's this that goes back to natural affections. It's something that that, that will happen over 10 years of, of living. You know, like if you moved to Kansas and lived in some cornfield, you know, with, you know, for over 10, all of a sudden you're going to say, you know, who some of my favorite people in all the world are uh, corn fed you know, uh, uh, Hicks from the sticks, you know, in Kansas, yeah. and, you know, the God's country, that's where Superman was from. That's where he was born and raised, you know, like, what, how can you go wrong with Kansas? And I think that's, that's natural and not only permissible, but I think it's, there actually is a moral obligation of sorts at, to, to a certain extent to say, um, if I'm going to go to a place, um, these are going to be my people. And, and it's not overnight. I'm sure Ruth had to work at it a little bit. She's she's making a pledge of allegiance, you might say, um, that that probably uh, uh, progressively became more and more true in towards in terms of her affections over time. But it was something that it was a deliberate decision um, that that she saw as as only being uh, as as merely just logical. It only made sense that I'm going to go and be among these people. I'm going to benefit from them. Uh, from from their economy, from their laws, from their culture, I'm going to live among them. Um, you know, like if, if I'm in trouble, their doctors are going to help me when I'm sick. Their, their police officers are going to come and help me if if I'm in trouble, if there's an emergency. Um, the, these are going to be uh, uh-huh. my people, and this is, I think, part of the case for Christian nationalism is um, nations have gods, and 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 secular humanism that is a god. It's a false god. Um, pluralism is a god. 
God. It's many gods. It's public atheism. And so every country in, in America, all the nations for that matter, but but since you and I are both here, um, America's God needs to be the triune God to where people can, where we have immigration, but legal immigration. And I think it should be mitigated. Um, yeah. I, I don't think that America has an obligation to take 10 million, even if they're legal, 10 million uh, legal immigrants per year. I think I think that it's been way too high. I think there needs to be some, some careful mitigation. Um, there needs to be compassion, these kinds of things, but there needs to be mitigation. There needs to be uh, ethical laws. And I think it's even right to say um, that there are some particular types of people that we're looking for. We need more doctors or we need every other nation does that except for america only in america are we the self-sabotage and i think it's because we've reached such a high tier of decadence you can track global empires with british roman they hit a point where they were so successful and so decadent and so powerful um that it was actually uh no one from outside could touch them there, there were no outside threats um so they all ended up ultimately imploding and altruism was one of the downfalls and misguided um, altruism that, that that where they lowered um, all their the, the, this loss of inhibition to where in the name of of um, of compassion and empathy um, they actually um, created their own demise and so my, my point is I think there's something to be said for um, nations uh, should should worship the triune God and when people come in legally. Um, there should be a certain expectation to assimilate and to say, you will always be the person that you came from. And that heritage and that history matters. But also, um, there needs to be a sense in which I'm proud to be an American. These are my people. And um, and this God, this triune God is is my God. And I, I don't I don't see how that is racist or white supremacist or um no. Man, if that's Christian nationalism, and we got some things to work out with with the whole, yeah. you know, but if that is what Christian nationalism is, um, I, I can stand on the word of God and defend it pretty strongly. Yeah, absolutely, I, you know, I always, especially now that I'm married to a white woman who's not Ghanaian or Canadian, I think a lot about God's providence in uh, my ancestry or my nationality. And I think, well, why did God make me a Ghanaian? Why did God make me a Canadian? And why has God, is God, you know, about to make me an American now? <laughs> well, um, it's, see, I think the Apostle Paul's special love for the Jews isn't just because they are his nation, that's his nationality. Because if he was an adopted Jew, we know how the Gentiles were supposed to act or assimilate when they were to, you know, to, you know, embrace, uh, you know, the, the Jewish faith, right? The Old Testament, um, within the Old Testament um, covenant. And it, so my point is, is that, you know, I have a special love for Ghanaians, not just because I'm Ghanaian, but because Ghanaians were my neighbors. I have a special love for uh, Canadians, not just because I'm Canadian, but because Canadians were my neighbors. And I'm going to have, or already I am having a special love for Americans because Ghana, uh, Americans are my neighbors. My wife is American. Lord willing, my children will be American. My neighbors, you know, now uh, my 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 in-laws are American. So it's it, there is a natural, of course, everyone, of course, is our neighbor, right? But there is a unique, special love and really a commandment from God for us to love the people that he has surrounded us with. Mm -hmm. So uh, that there means then that there's nothing wrong with wanting your nation to, 
to to thrive under God's blessing. There's nothing wrong with wanting your nation to be a Christian nation. Right. So now, of course, people, you know, some some of the concerns people have with that term is because of the white nationalism aspects that people try to tie into it. But right. that's really just, of course, people wanting to use that to scare people away from. I've mentioned how, yeah, I believe that we should, you know, we should, of course, live under Christian principles in our in America. People say, what, you're a Christian nationalist? If you want to call me that, whatever, I don't care. <laughs> I just, you know, uh, I just want, of course, my neighbors to love God as well. Right. Amen. Um, yeah, I, you know, I was thinking about, again, with um, the Apostle Paul, you know, like my kinsmen, according to the flesh, there, there was a special love because he goes on and, and and kind of fleshes that out and talks about, you know, is there any uh, advantage in being a Jew? Much, much in every way. Um, God God chooses unconditionally. He's choosing Gentiles and all these different, but but there is a certain advantage in, in being um, the history and having the patriarchs and uh, the oracles and the prophets and these kinds of things. And so, Part, part of his affection for the Jews has to do with the fact that the Jews were God's chosen people under the old covenant. Um, but, but it's, but he doesn't just say that he also says they're my kinsmen according to the flesh. Um, mm-hmm. I, I love them because I'm uh, not just because God chose them, but because I'm a part of them. You know, I, I belong to them. These are uh, my people. There's a certain connection, a certain belonging, a certain moral obligation. Um, with that, I just I, I'm thinking I'm playing the devil's advocate for a second because I think somebody could try to counter with um, like um, the Good Samaritan, right? Because because one of the things about the Good Samaritan is he goes out of his way um, mm-hmm. to help someone who is not um, his people. When the, when the other guys who uh, the person who is in need was their people, they actually did have that natural bond. Um, they ignored him and passed by, and you know so Jesus like who was a good neighbor? Well, it's the guy who you wouldn't naturally expect to even be a neighbor because, because they're from other tribes, you know, that they're not, they don't belong to each other in terms of, of um, their kinship. And so, um, but these other two guys who did have that tie, they, they walked by. And I guess what, what I would say to someone who's saying, well, see, look, like Jesus overrides, you know, the whole principle that you guys are talking about seems to be irrelevant in the mind of Jesus. I guess what I would say is, um, what I would say is that the Samaritan who stops to help this man who had been beaten by thieves and left for dead, um, he stops because there's an argument for proximity. So not just natural relations. I think there's an argument for natural relations. We've made that with Paul. Uh, we, we've made that argument with uh, prioritizing Christians as spiritual, you know, so there's spiritual, there's natural, um, but then there's also proximity. Um, the reason why there was a moral obligation for all three men, the two that passed by and the the Samaritan um, is because they were there. They were right there. Uh, now, if we were to change the parable and let's say there was only enough resources and time was, let's say time was of the essence. There was, um, it, you know, um, two guys, not just one, but two guys were left for dead, robbed and beaten and left for dead. And one was the guy that we already find in the parable, but the other one was a Samaritan. And the Samaritan, and and they they only had a few minutes to live, um, it, and, and you only had time and resources to save one. If the Samaritan picked his fellow Samaritan, I don't think that Jesus would chastise him for like meaning. What I'm saying is, I I don't think that the argument that's being made in the parable is. Um, uh, th- there are no um, tribal distinctions. There are no uh, different cultures. There are no uh, nationalities. There are. I-, I don't think Jesus is making that argument. I think Jesus is saying, whoever you are, um, one one thing that that morally binds you to another person 
is uh, the people that you're with. Even yeah. if you're with someone who is not your people, simply by your presence, your proximity, you have a moral obligation um, yeah. to to love them. Yeah. What, what do you think about that? Yeah, I actually had the the um, you know the Samaritan in mind as I was speaking because I because I actually wanted to address that because I had a feeling that like you did that that would be um, a, a pushback to that. But as we've been saying all along, we're not saying we shouldn't love other people, right? Like we're simply saying there's nothing wrong with a natural love for people who are like us, mm. right? When I say like us, I mean our people, right? I'm not saying again, we should have supremacist thinking whatsoever, but in the same way that I am to love my family um, in a special way more than I would love somebody else who isn't my neighbor uh, or who isn't my family, it applies to the Samaritan as well too, where the parable is not saying, um, you know, well, in, in, that, in, that, you know, in that parable, the, 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 the Samaritan is receiving help and love from someone. And we we support that, right? So we, you and I are not saying that, well, if somebody, so for example, if someone's a Nigerian, for example, I wouldn't say, well, forget you, you're not Ghanaian, so I'm not going to help you. No, I am going to, I'm, I'm commanded to help that one, of course, if I can. Will well, you help that Nigerian prince who keeps emailing you? Will you help that one? <laughs> 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 you mean princess who uh, um <laughs> no but yeah i you know so yeah so if if you know if, if, you know um uh, with if, if that if, if the person if the jew in that in that um in that parable were to refuse to help the samaritan that would be sin well, and for right? the record it's uh, flip it it's uh, uh, the samaritan helps the jew sorry sorry oh, sorry yeah, yeah. go ahead yeah, yeah sorry of course yeah um, yeah, I'm, I'm forgetting that. But yeah, so if, if the Samaritan failed to help the Jew, then it is it is sin. Mm. But, you know, but that's not, you know, that's that has nothing to do with what we're really saying here. What we're just saying here is that there is a special kind of favoritism that we may have in the same way, if, God forbid, if I'm in this position here, but, you know, if as, there's a, if my wife is, uh, if someone, you know, were to kidnap I only say, yeah, just someone in my family, and I can only save one. Right. I'm going to choose my family. Yes. Uh, that's not because I hate the other person. Right. But that's exactly. love for right. family. And, and I like what you said. Racism is hatred. Right. Yeah. It's it's uh, it's disdain. It's aversion. It's it's um it's demeaning. It's derogatory. It's looking down on someone, looking down your nose, uh, viewing them as innately inferior. And that's that's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about because you are not my own, because you are not my kin or whatever. Um, I hate you. No, it's um, I love you. And if I'm walking by you and you're beaten and left for dead, I have a moral obligation simply by proximity because all people are my neighbors. All people. That's like the Bible teaches uh, universal creatorhood in regards to God and universal neighborhood in regards to brothers. Um you know, it, now the the Bible doesn't teach universal fatherhood. Uh, God is only the father of those who um, who are united to uh, His beloved Son through faith. Um, and the Bible also doesn't teach universal brotherhood. Um, we we have um, we are only brothers truly um, in the truest sense spiritually with fellow um, believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. But everyone is my neighbor, and and if I'm uh, with proximity right next to my neighbor and he's dying. Um, and and I can and I can help him without neglecting 
my other loves, like my family, you know, uh, then then I actually am morally bound by God's law to love my neighbor and and to and to help him. And so we're, we're not talking about um, the scenarios that we're discussing is not um, um, indifference, uh, calculated, deliberate indifference out of hatred towards a certain type of person because they're not like us. Uh, but we are talking about that. The reality is, again, it goes back to the argument I made earlier. Um, we're not God. We're not the infinite creator. We are finite creatures, and we're all a lot more finite, I think, than we sometimes would like to admit. Um, and and so we only have so much time of the day. We only have so many years in our lives. We only have so much um, uh, money in our bank accounts. We only have so many giftings, so many abilities, so many this, so many that. Um, it's all limited. It's all finite. And so we have to choose. There's 8.2 billion people on the planet, right? We have to choose. We have to make a choice. As individuals, we have to make choices. Nations have to make choices, right? And that's what America has done for quite a while now is, um, you know, like, well, we, we would rather, like everyone is a Christian nationalist if we're yeah. talking about Ukraine. <laughs> yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, seriously, like everyone was a Christian nationalist uh, when they were honoring, uh, you know, in England, when they were honoring the queen. Yeah. Right. I mean, like, look at the language of, 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 of you know, uh, when it comes to the ordination of, of Queen Elizabeth and now Charles, like um, this is religious language, right? You're yeah. the defender of the faith. And everyone's like, wow, that's really cool. You know, and, and then, but when you talk about America prioritizing America or America being Christian or like, it's just. Mm. We, we, people just hate America. And you know what I really think it is? I think it's envy, man. I don't think it's slavery. I don't think it's our history. I don't think it's those things. And this is why virtually every nation has had slaves. Yeah. You know what I mean? And and a lot of uh, places have had, had slavery with more barbaric practices. And I, correct me if I'm wrong, because I know you know this more than me. So so fact check me, you know, like Politico, you can fact check me on it. You know, but um, but I think uh, the United States took 3% of the African slave trade, um, but a lot of it went to fellow African nations and European nations and South American nations. Um, and and then when you look at nations that, that ended slavery and, and chronological order of who ended it first, you know, which would have been Great Britain. Uh, but then following from that, like we weren't, you know, we weren't the last nation by any stretch that we were one of the first nations to, to abolish slavery. Um, we took fewer slaves than, than other nations did. Um, there were barbaric masters in America, but there were barbaric masters, other places. And you could argue that in some ways it was more tempered by Christians that, that, that because their conscience uh, ultimately led towards abolishing slavery outright. But, but even while there were slaves, there were many masters, not all, but many masters were like, yeah, we, we need to not treat them um, inhumanely in, in this regard, at least not like to this level. And there were problems and all those kinds of things. But my point is, people don't hate America because it's the worst nation in terms of slavery. I think people hate America because of envy. I think people hate America because of its success, not because of its sinful past, but, but its opulence and prosperity and successful present. I, I think that if Ghana, for instance, uh, captured slaves and bought slaves and traded slaves. And if Ghana was, was uh, for the last, you know, hundred years had been one of the richest nations in the world. I think we'd see a lot of uh, news programs and, and articles about um, how wicked Ghana is. I, I think people don't care about other nations that have been more barbaric because yeah. they haven't been successful. And America's success ultimately, I think came not because of slavery, uh, but actually, I would say uh, it came by the blessing of God, despite the the sin of slavery. What do you yeah. think about that? It's very interesting because 
um, you know, as a as a Ghanaian, um, you know, <laughs> where my my people were uh, brutally enslaved by other uh, more powerful tribes, um, and you know, Ghana, actually the group of the, the, the tribe in Ghana, this is the Ashantis who were very dominant and extremely uh, involved in the slave trade. They did not, I mean, they still refuse as a tribe, Ashanti tribe, they refuse to acknowledge their role in slavery where the, the majority, a strong number of people in the Caribbean were enslaved by, as in a strong number of people in the Caribbean are from um, our, our, their ancestors were enslaved by the Ashantis. They still refused to admit their role. But the nation of Ghana has, in, in 1998, formally apologized for their role in slavery. Mm-hmm. Now, remember, 1998. <laughs> wow. A little late to the game. That's like guys who are just now realizing that uh, maybe we shouldn't have locked down forever for COVID. <laughs> 900 days late. You know Exactly. And it was around that same time where the other African nations um, admitted their role. Again, not the tribes themselves, but the nation mm-hmm. said, yeah, we apologize for our role in slavery. Now, again, that's around the 1980s, 1990s. It was 19, was it not 19? It was the 1860s where Americans died fighting for slavery. No one really wants to talk about that. Right. But it took more than what, 130 years for a nation like Ghana to say, yeah, we should not have you know, benefited from slavery. Where oh, in fact, yeah, there is, you know, the movie The Woman King or where, Oh where my it, gosh, uh, what a joke. I <laughs> I haven't I, watched it, but I've I've read some Oh my goodness, talk about rewriting history. Yeah, Go ahead. I I've not well, I wanted to watch the movie, but it would irritate me, I'm sure. So I uh-huh. I'm trying to wait for a while before I watch it. But like there was Britain had to go to war mm. with uh with that nation um you know, that well, that tribe um from that movie. Uh, I think it's a, it's a tribe in Benin, I think. Um, they had to go to war with them because they were so angry that the British banned um, the slave trade. They went to war with the British. That's how, that's, anyway, I'm kind of going off topic here, but I no, think- No, that's good, that's good, man. Yeah, I think, you know, I agree with you in many, you know, that it's not America's history with a slave trade or with any other injustice that people hate. I, I actually think it actually ties into Christian nationalism. You know, when you think about the West, especially, you know, the so-called New World, whether it is Canada or America, I think these two nations especially, they really are the bastions of so-called Christian nationalism, in a sense. Now, what I mean by that is this. England is not what it used to be in many ways. Um, You know, it it was the Puritans that came to that came to America, and then many Christians also in Canada, that uniquely, right? Britain was not always a Christian nation, right? They became reformed later on. They became Christian, I suppose, generally later on. But America and Canada were were uniquely built on Christianity in ways that other nations weren't, even Europe. And I think that that history where Christianity is, is, is so... Um, entrenched in 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 these nations being built in a ways that the other European nations who became Christian later on were not, um, you know, did not have the same kind of history. I think that is part of why people hate America and Canada uniquely more than any other nation, including Britain or 
or any other you know nation in Europe, France, Italy, whatever, because of that unique history. Mm-hmm. So they try to um, to to destroy that rich history of Christianity by saying, well, yeah, you, you can claim Christianity, but look at what they were doing. All they can say, well, it's actually the Christianity that made them support slavery, even though it was that very Christianity that actually made America ban um, slavery a lot faster than any other nation in the world. Mm-hmm. I think that's a really good point. I think so. Yeah, I don't think it's because America is uniquely sinful in its past. We're not saying that America doesn't have sin in its past, but uniquely sinful. Every nation has sin in its past, just like every individual person has sin in their past. Um, so the question was, was America uniquely sinful? Did they? Did we have a unique category of sin? Like meaning like we're the only ones who own slaves? No. Okay. Well, well then if other nations shared in this category of sin, were we uniquely high in terms of our degree of sin in that category? No, no. Like, so, so it's neither. So I, I really think it is envy of success and prosperity. And, and I think it's also what you're saying. I think it's um, a roundabout attack on, on Christ. And I think that's what a lot of this stuff is, whether it's patriarchy. Um, well, Instead of just coming out right, instead of a straight line and just saying we hate Jesus, um, why don't why don't you just hit all the things that yeah. that that, um, that are are loosely tied to him that that represent Christ? Yeah. You know, so it's like um, instead of saying we hate Jesus, you say we hate Western culture that was shaped by Jesus. We hate um, men. Yeah. We hate whiteness. We yeah. hate heterosexual uh, marriage. We hate um, we hate the scientific method. We hate you know. And what you but but if you if you were to 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 draw a line from all these things that have been very popular lately to hate, yeah. and you tried to find a common denominator, it's not whiteness. Yeah. It's Jesus. Yeah. It's Jesus, and that doesn't mean all these things have represented yeah. Jesus perfectly without fault or, or sin. But they yeah. all share that, despite their imperfections. They all share Christ as the center, yeah. and I think that's what the attack is really a, about. What, what yeah. do you think? I that, that I completely agree, um, man. There's so much I want to say that I, I. So what you're saying made me think about something that I, I, I mentioned in my. I, I wrote a, uh, a review on white fragility a few years ago, and in there I didn't spend too much too much on it, but I I said. Like this is antichrist, and people, you know, they think, oh, this is just bad, but they don't realize how antichrist mm. critical race theory is. So, in that book, Robin D'Angelo says that one of the most white supremacist or racist things people say today is that racism has to be racism is always intentional. Mm. Well, what they're saying there is, well, the Bible, God says racism is always intentional because it is partiality as james james 2 1 james 2 verse 4 says it is an evil thought mm-hmm. right so what they're saying there is well if you believe what the bible says about sin mm-hmm. if you believe what the bible says about partiality you are racist which means of course that god is racist yeah right? and, that's a good point you know what it's amazing how now the term they keep using is christian nationalism whereas i said before it was white nationalism mm. because when they were really saying white, when they were saying white nationalism, what they really meant is Christianity is a problem. That's right. And not, and not just that, the term Christ, uh, white privilege. Well, now it's being said more and more often, Christian 
privilege. Mm. There's a book I have here called White Christian Privilege. Mm. She starts off by talking about white Christian privilege, but then by the end of the uh, book, she's really more addressing Christian privilege. Right. So all of this stuff is really an attack on Christianity. You're uh, right. And they're finally now just coming out and just saying it, just, you know, saying the quiet part out loud. Right. It's really, and, and I love like Christian privileges is hilarious because um, it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Christian privilege. Uh-huh. Yeah. I believe in that. We, we got a word for that. It's called blessing. Blessing. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Th- th- there is a privilege to being a follower of Christ, right? That when we follow Christ, is there persecution? Yes. Is there challenge? Yes. Is there difficulty? Yes. But there's also immense blessing when we when we follow Christ. And here's the irony. I think a lot of the church is not properly equipped to, to fight this particular fight because, because the pagans, if I can say it like this, the pagans actually have, now they hate it, they disdain it, right? So just like they have kind of the, you know, the theology of, of demons, right? D- demons have decent Trinitarian doctrine, uh, but they hate it and shudder, right? You, you know, even the demons know that God is one, but shudder. So, um, so the pagan has, I think, has, they have their fingers on the pulse accurately um, of of some biblical doctrine, some sound biblical doctrine, but they, you know, they're in terms of their hearts and their affection, they despise it, they hate it. The Christian um, doesn't necessarily hate the things of God. The Christian would 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 actually rejoice and love the things of God, but is just so thoroughly uh, confused doctrinally. And so what I, what I'm saying is this: that it, the 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 opponents of Christ, opponents of the Christian faith, they actually are 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 drawing a clearer correlation between obedience to God bringing about blessing in this life where I think many Christians coming off the heels of of the prosperity gospel and certain abuses of that principle certain things that that are in fact you know um, bona fide heresy um, Christians I think have overcompensated overreacted to the prosperity gospel to where um, we have lost many American evangelical Christians in in over compensating against the prosperity gospel they've completely erased any any correlation between obedience and blessing in this life and i what i want to argue is that that biblically speaking um i think that it's it's not guaranteed but ordinarily we can expect tangible blessings even in this life always guaranteed eternal blessing but but ordinarily um, temporal blessings in this life by following Christ. For, for instance, if I obey Christ's commands uh, to keep my wedding vows to my wife, will statistics tell me that my children have a better chance not going to prison, a better yeah. chance getting a job? So my children will be privileged because of their father's obedience. You know, that Christian privilege. So, so that author is absolutely right in what they're articulating, wrong to despise it. Christians um are right in the sense that if, if they were aware of what the bible actually taught by ber- virtue of being christians i think they they would like it but they they christians are just right now it just we're, we're so um theologically anemic and and so be, and it's because of of i think this uh, um such a a fear of being labeled as a racist such a fear of you know, is it like that, like the father, you know, the Christian father who is like, um, it's like, I, I bet your kids went to bed uh, tonight with, with, um, with uh, sheets and, and uh, clean comforters and full bellies, yeah. you monster. 
It's yep. like, yeah, no, my, my kids did go to bed um, in, in nice beds with yep. nice uh, PJs on after yep. eating a nice dinner that their mother made. And yep. I'm not apologizing for yep. that. Well, I, I, I can tell you this, too, in that, you know, growing up in poverty, you know, you and I have had you know, this talk before. Well, um, that's because my father wasn't a Christian and he left the family. My mom is a Christian, but my father's not there and we have poverty. With that being said, Ghana is, you know, I mentioned the, um, how the, um, I mentioned the influence that the Europeans had in Ghana. Ghana is one of the few nations um, in West Africa that was colonized by the British instead of the, the, uh, the French and other, or other groups. And the British, one of the good things they did was they really established the gospel in Ghana. Ghana is one of the better African nations when it comes to economy and having very, very, very little history with war. And actually, there was a study, I think, done uh, surprisingly, I think, by Christianity Today, and they're woke and you know, left now. But they did a study where they showed that the African nations where the British uh, colonized, where they were, pre- you know, they were um, you know, where the gospel was really being preached there, they're significantly better off at every level than the other African nations that were not colonized by the Christian, by, you know, so-called, you know, Christian uh, nations. Mm -hmm. So even in that, so, you know, while you have some individuals, right, in some nations who be Christians, who will, um, who might be poor, but that would be because of different circumstances like my, you know, like mine, where my father's not there or, you know, or other, other reasons, but there is a general truth, you know, as I was, you know, my wife and I have been going through the book of Proverbs as we're studying this, this book, I'm like, if by the grace of God, we obey the, you know, we obey this wisdom literature, Mm -hmm. God will bless us. Yes. Blessing always comes from wisdom right by the grace of god so there is that general truth now of course some christians will have persecution and things like that but generally there is a unique blessing that christians have when we obey god in all these things whether it comes to being a good steward i mean for example the parable of the talents right if you've been a good steward of what god has called for us to be responsible for he will bless us um in you know in his own way yes um let, let me look up a Bible verse real quick um, because it, it really addresses what we're talking about, about blessing. Obviously, so what we're saying is that there's a guaranteed blessing for obedience in the life to come. But ordinarily, as a general rule, there are tangible blessings even in this life for obedience. There's persecution for obedience often, but there's also blessing. And and to be more specific, um, in terms of, okay, wh- but what's the determining factor between when blessing leads to persecution versus when blessing leads to tangible temporal, um, uh, I'm sorry, when obedience results in persecution versus when obedience results in temporal blessing in this life. I would say w- one of the determining factors between the two is, um, well, is Christendom. Um, I, I think that, you know, um, so if you're a first century Christian in Rome, um, a lot of your obedience, I would say, if I was a pastor in that context, I would say ordinarily obedience will result in persecution. But we're, we're not Christians in first century Rome, um, you know, because because a few centuries later, when when you've got Constantine, 
And it was, and think about that, man, you think about just the rate of, of multiplication um, within a few centuries, you go from, from the vast minority being Christians to uh, it's, it's now taking over the world. You have a Christian empire. And I know there's a lot of controversy about Constantine and all this, but I believe he was a Christian. And and personally, from what I've read and what I've you know looked into, he, he was baptized at the end of his life because it was a common belief at that time that baptism was going to wash your sins away. And so you kind of want to, you know, kind of like uh, within Catholicism, you know, last last rites, you know, you wanted, you wanted it to be as close to your deathbed as possible, but it wasn't because he just finally converted right before his death, um, that he converted many, many years prior, um, but was saving his baptism. And yes, that is a, a um, superstitious and and unbiblical view of baptism. Um, but you know, it's, you know, we, we have, we're not arguing that, um, Athanasius wasn't a Christian and he had some, you know, like, so we, we, we've, we've gotten better as, as time goes on, we're, we're progressing. And I like, you know, some guys will say, you know, like when you think of David, like he's a man after God's own heart and he's wearing, a, um, a, a necklace of, of foreskins, <laughs> Philistine foreskins around his neck, 200 of them, you know, like, um, like, like the bar is raising. As time goes on, as the mustard seed is growing into a tree, as the leaven works through the whole batch of dough, and and that's happening with individuals, but it's also happening with nations. And so the point is, like when Constantine's in power, um, guess what? Um, obedience ordinarily leads to blessing. Uh, when Nero's in power, o- obedience ordinarily leads to persecution. And I think in America. Um, historically, obedience has led to blessing, not only guaranteed in the life to come, but ordinary, ordinarily in this life as well, uh, because America has been a context of Christendom. It, it, is, it has had that kind of um, rewarding virtue and punishing vice. As things shift, though, um, politically, Culturally, that affects legislation. That affects um, um, as there's a shift in 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 morality evolving from God's standard to man's humanistic standard. Then then things change. But I, but I think that it what we can say is it's not a. I guess what I'm saying is is I, I would not say it is a timeless principle at all times and in all places that obedience will bring about blessing in this life. It always brings about blessing in the life to come, but it does not always bring about blessing in this life as a universal and timeless principle. But I think that that for the West, ordinarily it does over the past few centuries, but some of that is starting to erode. And that's what we've seen in cancel culture. And those, and, and it's not like, oh, cancel culture is bad because, um, because, you know, I'm I'm you know a a a classic liberal, and and everybody should be able to you know to do whatever they want. No, no, um, we've always had cancel culture. I think cancel culture is good. We just want to cancel evil. We want to cancel sin. We, there, there's always been standards for what curriculum is in schools, or or what you can say in public, or um, what we're seeing um, is is simply we're not. It's not that we're seeing um, um, an erosion of freedom. I, I know it looks like that, and in some essence, it, it is that. But what we're actually seeing is, um, you know, people say, "Oh, we used to have the moral majority." No, we st- we still have the moral majority, but morality has shifted. Morality has has changed to where now the things that used to be rewarded are punished, and the things that used to be punished 
um, are are being praised. And there's, there's this reversal with degradation going on in our culture at large. And and so right now, I think we're living in a time where it's kind of a toss up. It, it's, you know, obedience in this life is it, kind of 50-50. It might bring the hammer. It might bring canceling. It might bring losing your job. Uh, but it also might bring blessing because we still have the remnants, you know, the residue of Christendom in, in the West and in America. And and in terms of which which way we fall, which side of the fence we fall on and where we ultimately land, I think is uh, the verdict still out. Go ahead. No, I, I'm not even sure what to, what to, I completely agree with you. I, you know, as you're speaking, you know, um, maybe the only thing that comes to mind is, and again, we, we know that, um, you know, general truths um, are not always going to be um, you know, some individuals will maybe will sometimes have unique situations, right? But right. as you're saying this, you know, in terms of um, how it's not timeless, where in certain areas, um, Christians, you know, who are being faithful uh, will, you know, will not maybe experience that kind of uh, temporal blessings. I was thinking of my mom, actually, where I mentioned before, where we were in Ghana, my mom has always worked extremely hard, but we were extremely poor. Then we come to Canada, where there is a, a, a different culture. There is differences here where the same thing she was doing in Ghana, she is now, uh, I wouldn't say wealthy, but she's now doing, she's nowhere near poor now. So um, you know, anyway, so what you were saying there may, you know, it's very true that I think a lot of people today are not thinking about or, or teaching because again, I, you know, being raised in the prosperity gospel church, I think a lot of people are hesitant to believe these things, but yet the, you know, the Bible does say this, a righteous man leaves an inheritance for his children. Right. Um, either that's a general truth, either that's a proverb that is we can believe in, or God is a liar. And we know that God is not a liar, right? Mm. So, Yep, I completely agree. This is the verse that I was thinking of. It's Luke chapter 18, verses 29 and 30. It says, and he said to them, uh, being Christ, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife, or brothers, or parents, or children, for the sake of the kingdom of God, who will not receive many times more in this life, and in the age to come, eternal life. And I feel like there's a lot of, I don't know how to say this, um, I don't, American gospel may not know what to do with that verse. TGC might not know what to do with that verse. I, I don't know if Russell Moore would know what to do with that verse. Um, and I like American gospel. The second well, two, not yeah, so much. Wait a minute, wait the, a minute. The, se- the second two, not so much. But even American gospel, I think that, you know, like, um, I don't know if, I think we, we're, we're needing more thorough, more rich. Deep, we need deeper doctrine. I think we've been, we've been dealing with some things up here like, um, well, well, let's refute Benny Hinn. Amen. Benny Hinn's a heretic, and and that that false gospel leads millions of people to hell. It matters. I don't want to make light of that. Um, but man, the the church in America, we need deeper doctrine than just a rebuttal to Benny Benny Hinn. We need we need. There are so many things that we've got to figure. We need to figure out a Christian politic. We need to figure out Christian ethics. We need to figure, I feel like, you know, when you think of Christendom and these kinds of, and church history for the first thousand years, we're just trying to figure out who Jesus is. 
right? The two natures of Christ, the hypostatic union, who's Jesus? Um, and it took about a, a thousand years to figure that out. And the next thousand years, um, wh- what what is the gospel? What is justification by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, you know, according to the scripture alone, to the glory of God alone? Um, and that took about a thousand years, and you know, and and by God's grace, we figured that one out. And, and we can never drift past the gospel. We got to keep preaching the gospel, and we have to preach the gospel um, as as a defense and and offense against any false gospel. Um, but I think, if I had to guess, I think the next thousand years, I think that the church, and I'd like to think that America will lead the way, but but maybe not. America may not last another thousand years. It may not last another fifty years, but. I think that the church of some nation, somewhere, somehow, in the providence of God, is going to have to nail out not just doctrine of God, theology proper, and not just justification by grace through faith in Christ, um, but I think we're going to have to start nailing out a Christian ethic, a Christian politic. And I, and I think there's a group of guys right now who like are are rising up and dealing with this. Guys like you know Stephen Wolf with his his book that just came out recently. You know the the case for Christian nationalism. There's some spicy stuff in here. I I, I don't know you know if I, I I don't know, but um but he's on to something. He's on to something. Doug Wilson is on to something with his Meet the Press. You know um, NBC thing where they try to you know blast him and and you know. Um, there are people who are working on this right now, and uh, and I think like we've got to be able to we've got to be able to combat Benny Hinn, but also say in the same breath, um, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And there is son, there is a benefit to serving the Lord. When you look at the proverbs written to 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 sons uh, and say this, it's it's not just um, you do these things and you'll get thrown to lions, but you'll get to be with Jesus. Um, it's it's. It's very earthly, not worldly, but earthly in in the sense of it's it's down to earth. It's it's the knit and the grit. It's um, you live this way, and there are consequences, and you live that way, and there are blessings, and you do this and you do that, and and so and some guys did work on this. Gary North, um, you know, wrote a lot of stuff with economics, and you've got guys like Bonson, you know, who sadly died just way too early and then you've you've got guys like rush dooney who's spicy and there's there's some controversy but i think some of these guys were on to something and in some sense they were like prophetic now some of them went weird like you know like they 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 went off the deep end and um not the guys that i just named but some other guys um but but my point is I think that they were onto something. You look at the reconstructionist movement, things like that in the seventies and the eighties and the nineties. Um, and, and I think in some ways people just didn't believe it. Like in some ways, like for, for people to listen, sometimes things just, they have to get bad before they get good. They have to like, they have to. And I think we're finally living in a time where things have gotten so totalitarian, like so much worse. And nobody would ever imagine drag queen story hour. Nobody would ever uh, imagine, um, you know, you know, being locked down in your house and churches told that they can't meet for months and mandated vaccines or you lose your job and that like, and we're finally getting to this point where, where there's, there's enough madness in secular humanism has finally borne its fruit and enough bad fruit to where I think you, you actually have a market for the first time. I think Rush Dooney just didn't have a market. But now there's a market for Rush Dooney. There's a bunch of guys, myself included, who are like, "All right, I'll, I'll read, I'll read his book," um, because because I've tasted the fruit over here and it's putrid, you know. And 
and and so anyways i'm just saying that, that i think you know we we got to be able to do something with verses like that in this life not receive who will not receive many times more in this life and in the age to come and that doesn't yeah. mean that that just by there's a different the prosperity gospel says believe in jesus just just have faith and you'll be rich this yeah. is this is not saying just have faith and you'll be rich this means follow jesus and the principles of christ and there's blessing and and i, I we got to be able to say that without being yeah. called prosperity gospel heretics yeah absolutely but i think you know the the difference between the prosperity gospel and what that text is saying is we will be blessed we just don't know how that how that blessing will be right so so for some people the blessing might end up being wealth for others the blessing would um would 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 happen in different ways um you know so so i think you know but again i think a lot of people do not address this stuff indeed because of the prosperity gospel and i think of many others i just not even think about that at all whatsoever even um ignoring the prosperity gospel so Yes, sir. Go ahead. No, no. I'm sorry. I was just my, my nose is stuffed up. No, I, but I, I agree with you entirely. Like yeah. we, we don't we don't get to dictate what form the blessing comes in. And you're right. The blessing could come in peace and joy and these kinds of fruits of the spirit. And you know, and um, a wonderful marriage and a wonderful this and wonderful that. And you live in a shanty and and financially you're poor. That's that's true. From that verse. Yeah. So I won't hang my hat entirely exclusively yeah. on that verse. But to go back yeah. to the verses that you mentioned, namely the entire book of Proverbs. We have verses that don't leave it um, an open-ended um, question as to what form the blessing might come. Maybe it'll come as an emotional blessing or a spiritual. Now, we have multiple verses that talk about, like, if you cast your bread seven times upon the waters, which to me looks like um, a principle of of um, economic investing through diversity. And yeah. if you do that, um, you'll have the joy, 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 joy down in your heart. No, you'll have cash. Yeah. Yeah. You know and what I mean? Yeah, and even with and even with that too, I think um, I, I don't want people to misunderstand what that means. In that, some people I'm trying to think. Um, so, for example, now so moving from Toronto, where the idea of wealth and you know the kind of jobs people have is very different from um, you know where people in this area that I am in Ohio, the kind of jobs they have, right? Where um, a lot of people are just farmers or just doing you know similar kind of jobs where they have wealth, but that wealth looks different than what that wealth will look like for somebody who's working in business and everything else. So, you know, it's kind of like, again, I mentioned the parable of the talents. The person with the five talents doubled it and had 10. The other person with, a, you know, with the two talents doubled it and had four. Mm. They both created wealth but some were richer than others. So in the same way, there could be there will be Christians out there who um, you know, may not have anywhere near as much money as other Christians. But with this with what God gave them, the career, the job that God gave them, they were able to steward that in such a way that they may not be living, you know, gloriously, they may not be they might be struggling to pay their bills but they are being good stewards of their money. God has blessed them in such a way that they can still leave an inheritance or uh, yeah, leave an inheritance to their children, no matter how small that is. So right. wealth looks very different to, um, to some people based on different scenarios in terms of what kind of jobs they have, where they live, uh, or even the nation they live in. 
No, you're right. The, the degree of wealth varies based off of the starting point. And, and because God is not a Marxist, and because God is not egalitarian, uh, yeah. we, we don't all have the same starting point. Not only does God not determine equity and equal outcomes, uh, God doesn't even do equal opportunity. Yeah. Um, yeah. He yeah. He gets to decide. Like He creates, right? I mean, I think of what, what um, God says to Moses in the burning bush where he's telling Moses, Moses keeps making excuses, you know, like, I can't, I can't do it, you know, and it, like, I'm a, uh, you know, I'm slow of speech. And then God responds by saying, uh, who makes man mute or dumb or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? He doesn't say like, um, he doesn't say, you know, sin entered the world and some people are born, you know, with disabilities or um, that that is true. But yep. it's also simultaneously true that God makes them. And he doesn't even just say, I allow this to happen. No, like God made the, the deaf, the mute and the blind. Um, and, and then God made somebody else with, with sight and speech. And, and, and so is that not disparity? And 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 behold, is it not the Lord who has done it? And and so uh, you're absolutely right. The, the master reserves the right to give to one one talent, another two, another five, and then based off of what the Lord has given, the starting point, um, there will be uh, different degrees of potential for um, for multiplication. And um, but the the point is, and I think you agree with this, that if we're faithful. If we don't bury the talent in the sand, um, then then we can by by obeying the law of God and following His principles ordinarily in a place that is not terribly hostile towards the things of God. Um, we should expect that that through obedience, two will turn to four, and and five will turn to ten. Now there are some contexts, and that's why I the context matters because. Um, I think if you apply the principles of Christ in North Korea, it it just may not just may not work. Yep. yep. Um, so I, I am again talking predominantly to people, you know, in the West, in in, in Canada, in America, in um, and that sadly the tide is turning now. I think there's a lot of hope that we can push back, uh, but right now there, there's you know it, it's it's switching of rewarding vice and punishing virtue. Rather than, you know, but, but again, in the West, because of the remnants of Christendom, because the gospel came to bear on these places and, and influenced these laws and these policies, there is a, a reward, not just eternally, but a temporal earthly reward for righteousness, righteousness ordinarily gets rewarded. And, and somebody could be just as faithful as someone else and still not in terms of, of um, total amount still um, not even have half of what the other person has because because they started with less. But if we're faithful, we're not saying if we're faithful, um, you will be equally rich to everyone else. That's not the argument we're making. We're saying if you're faithful in some of these contexts that God over 2,000 years of Christendom has uh, in church history has has created by his providence, if you're faithful there, I think yeah. you should ordinarily expect not only uh, the well done, good and faithful servant in the life to come, which is of infinitely more value, but also um, some tangible measure of reward here um, as we seek to multiply our talents and what the Lord gave us t- to begin with. Amen. Yeah, I agree. So, yeah. And so I, th- I just feel like we got to get to work and we got to talk about um, Christian economics and we got to talk about Christian um, ethics and, and Christian politics and Christian legislation and Christian, because at the end of the day, I, that Jesus says, if you're not for me, 
you're yeah. against me. There is no neutral ground. It's it's Christian everything, or yeah. or there's no neutral. So it's either Christian this, Christian that, or it's um, or, or it's it's secular, satanic this, satanic that. I I I don't want to live in a satanic nation. So I, yeah, I think Christian nation is kind of my only option. Yeah. No, I, um, you know, you mentioned a lot of the people who have been so influential in addressing these things. And, you know, I just talking about just, you know, Christian ethics when it comes to wealth. Um, you know, it's funny. I've been talking about the parable of talents a lot of times when, it, you know, to destroy, well, to destroy, maybe that sounds arrogant, but to, to really attack the, um, you know, the Marxist thinking within the church when it comes to, um, you know, suggesting that you know uh disparities is is always an evidence of discrimination mm-hmm. saying no oh that's not true but honestly until a few years ago i had not thought about it in terms of what it means for me towards in terms of godliness until a friend of mine really just said you know just who's into financing and things like that he just talked to me in terms of how he is trying to prepare himself. He was not married yet at the time, uh, just preparing himself to be able to lead a wife and lead, you know, lead his family, lead his children and talked about investing. And honestly, I had no idea. I knew nothing about this stuff. And part of that, honestly, was a cultural thing. Um, Ghanaians, Africans are not known for investments um, the way that the West is. Um, so, you know, I started doing, doing that more and just realizing that, yeah, God has called me to be a steward. And again, I don't know what that will mean. I'm not in control in the sense of what that will mean, but I'm called to be faithful. I'm called to be wise and prudent. I'm called to work hard and invest and think about the future so that I can take care of my family. And when it's, you know, and then when I do pass away, I can, um, I can uh, leave an inheritance for my children, whatever that would be. Mm-hmm. But also, really, in terms of people who've been influential, I'm grateful for, you know, you know, I'm not a, you know, well, again, I keep saying some would say I'm a theonomist, but I, I wouldn't call myself that, but I understand why they would. Um, but I am grateful for a lot of the theonomists who've been addressing this issue. I'm also grateful for Vadi Bokum and John MacArthur and other people out there who are really addressing the issue of ethics in in so many different ways. Um, you know, and I'm 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 grateful. So I'm grateful for these men and even, you know, not even, but people like yourself who's addressing this issue. I'm saying even not because you're lesser, I'm just saying that. I thought you, I didn't think you were going to say me. I thought when you, when you said the word even, I thought he's going to say Doug Wilson, even, oh. I'm, I'm even the grateful not be named. for Doug Wilson. <laughs> That's what I thought. I literally thought, I thought he's going to say Doug Wilson, even, I'm so grateful. I'm even grateful for him. <laughs> oh, Lord. No, I, 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 you know, we've had this talk before. I appreciate yeah. a lot of what he's, what, uh, what he's done. Um, I've learned a lot really, um, yeah. you know, from him as well too. Um, it's impossible right now to be a Christian, especially a young Christian and not to be influenced by Doug Wilson in some capacity. Yeah. Although, you know, my dude, my two dudes are Vadi Bokum and John MacArthur. They've had a massive impact on me. Yeah. Uh, although I am not, um, a DSP pre-mail, um, but you know, I'm, I'm a mail, uh, although you post, then you, kind of well, then you got, you're right. You're right there with a uh, Vody. Then if you're all yeah. mail, if yeah. you're, you know, if you're, I know you're Baptist, so you're Baptist, you're yeah. covenantal, you know, a Baptist yeah. covenant theology. Are you yeah. Sabbatarian? No. Hop on board with the Sabbath and uh, <laughs> and they just affirm the 1689. It's, it's, yeah. I bet you the Sabbath is probably the only thing in the 1689 that you're not currently able to affirm. So hop on board with that and then you'll be Vodou's twin. Yeah. 
I, I, I thought about that a lot uh, because I actually grew up, not grew up. I spent some time in a Dutch Reformed church. Mm. Uh, they are Sabbatarians. So, um, so I thought about that deeply. But yeah, I, I got to do some more thinking on that. But as of right now, I'm not. Yeah, that's all right. All you yeah. have to do, if you just live, you know, like if you live into your 80s or your 90s, you'll be a Sabbatarian <laughs> because the Christian nationalists, we're going to take over the nation. And uh, we will put you in the stocks if you don't observe the Sabbath. We're going to bring back blasphemy laws, Sabbath laws. And I'm saying it like I'm joking, but I'm a little bit serious. We'll have to deal with, you know, what the consequences are. But I, I think there's something there. So Stephen Wolf, I bet you Stephen Wolf talks about it. I haven't. This is a brick, man. I, th- I was hoping I was really, really hoping for an 80 page book because I because I. I Oh, because, you know, as you and I, you know, we, we talked beforehand, I'm I'm going to try to review, get the book and review it. Oh, yeah. I'd love to hear your thoughts. And and yeah, if it's, I guess I'm going to have to spend like a week and a half probably because I take a long time to read a book. And then especially when I'm making notes to review. I, it, yeah. So I'm going to try and get my hands on it very soon so I can review it. Slow, um, slow to write, uh, slow to read. There you go. There you go. <laughs> it's fascinating, you know, to me with the, you know, the theonomy issue, um, you know, the theonomy debate, whatever happening, because again, I'm not a theonomist, but I like a lot of theonomists. You know, I, I like you, a lot of our mutual friends are theonomists. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, we may mention Joe boot, uh, right. you know, yeah, I love Joe boot. So it's really weird. Um, you know, I am in, I am in the theonomist space, the Christian libertarian space and, you know, the, the grace to you camp as well. Right. So I'm kind of everywhere, really. Um, I, I'm not trying to be ecumenical in a sense, but I guess I kind of am, you know, uh, and, and even with the abortion issue, I have, I have friends who are Catholics <laughs> that I, that I am also, you know, working with when it comes to the abortion issue as well too. So I'm kind of everywhere. So, Amen. well, I think hey. we've got a partner where we can partner. I like yes. some guys are like, well, we can't part with Catholics. No, what we can't do is what Billy Graham was doing. Uh, we, we can't do the evangelical and Catholics, you know, united ecumenical, like on the gospel. We can't, we can't unite with, right. So, so like I can't, we can't be ecumenical and unite with um, a Catholic on the gospel for the same reason I can't unite with a purple haired feminist on abortion. Why? Because they want to kill babies and the Catholic doesn't know the gospel. So you can't, you can't partner with someone on on the very issue you disagree with, but that doesn't mean that you have to agree on every single issue there is under the sun in order to partner at all. You can partner in God's common grace on the issues where you do agree without compromise, and and you can say, that, man, like so. One of the things that guys are arguing whether you know whether it's Andrew Torba, and I know that that's controversial, but I read his book, I like it. I like Andrew Torba, uh, whether it's Stephen Wolf, you know, whether it's Doug Wilson, a lot of what these guys are saying, I think of Brian Sauvey and the Kings Hall, you know, those guys, Eric Kahn, um, a lot of the Christian nationalist conversation right now that, that I'm privileged to get to be a part of, because it's, it's exciting and it's, I, it's exciting. And, and a lot of the conversation though, is uh, we need a big tent. Um, this is not going to work unless there's a big tent um, and, and not everybody's going to agree on every little thing. So not everybody's going to be theonomic. A.D. Robles was talking about that just today. Uh, he had a video where he was saying, um, yeah, I want you to be a Christian nationalist. And I know a lot of you guys aren't going to be theonomist, um, but you can still be under this tent. And and so I think that like it's going to have to be Presbyterian and Baptist and Anglican and this and that. And um, and it's going to have to be, but it, but it has to be, here's the thing, it has to be nationalist and it has to be Christian. It has to be Christian, distinctly Christian. So it's it's not what, what it won't be, which I said, oh my goodness, I'm just now remembering, uh, but we never got into it. What it won't be is partnering with Dave Rubin. 
Uh, <laughs> that, that's a great way to bring it back. Yeah. You, you, want, to, you want to just give me the two minute version on what, what it, Candace Owens coming out and yeah, defending Dave Rubin? That's, that, that's good. Yeah. I completely forgot about it. You me too. Me. Until just right now. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, you know, I think it was around March, uh, Dave Rubin announced with his partner, uh, you know, Dave Rubin being a so-called gay conservative. Um, he announced that him and his partner uh, are going to have two children through surrogate uh, mothers. And then some conservatives, including the Blaze and you know, especially Candace Owen, um, you know, supported him. And especially as we as to Candace Owen, um, some of her fans said, hey, you know, what are you doing? And back in March, I wrote an article saying that conservatives are part of the problem. And then just last month, Candace Owens finally responded to her, you know, critics, uh, her conservative critics on why she was supporting Dave Rubin. And she basically just said, you know, she hasn't seen any, any, anything with it. She was even attacking. She didn't really defend herself. She was really attacking people like us who would say that this is wrong. Um, and she used really leftist reasoning, um, saying that, well, how could you shame shame uh, the children? Not shame the children at all. We're just saying that this is not conservative. Um, but anyway, I wrote an article last month saying that conservatives are still part of the problem. And, you know, my point was just to really reiterate the the fact that, look, we can say that conservatives, as you said, we can partner with anyone on certain issues to, um, you know, to get our to get the truth across, to get justice across. But really, they are not our allies. Right. Um, you know, we have to you know remember that these people are still against Christ. That you are either you said before, you, are, you know, you know, you're either with him or you're against him. Conservatives, I call them the Christless conservatives are against him. There is simply, um, you know, on, on some levels, they've not revealed their complete hatred. Look, I'll say frankly, Candace Owens is not a Christian. She hates Christ. She does, right? I'm not, you know, she says certain things that makes it very clear that she's not a Christian, though she claims she is. So if you hate Christ, well, I'm glad that you're publicly not sharing how much you hate Christ, but with some, you know, with support for, you know, you know, with support for Dave Rubin really harming his children by not giving them a mother, harming his children. I said in the article that I was raised by a single mother. That is not how God, in, that's not how it was supposed to be, of course, right? Uh, that was hard. But and I am thankful that I was raised at least by a good mother instead of being raised by two parents of the same sex. That's, that's, that is, I think my wording was, um, it's um it's not ideal to be raised by a single mother, but it's an abomination to be raised by same sex parents. And for any so any so conservative to support that is also an abomination. So they are not our allies, and we have to remember that. So we need to really partner with other believers who may not think like us in every single way, but realizing that we only have each other. We don't have even the conservatives, and it's only a matter of time because they care more about politics than the truth uh, out of these you know, conservatives. It's only a matter of time where they say, hey guys, you are part of the problem here. You're helping us lose votes. Therefore, right. we need to cancel you guys too. No, no, you're absolutely right. Because when it really comes down to it, it's like, what are you fighting for? Like, are you fighting for, you're not fighting for Christian nationalism. I'll tell you that. Like that, what you're fighting for is, um, you're fighting for us to, uh, to go all the way back to, um, 2011 Obama. 
like I'd like to I'd like to go a little bit further back than that. Like I want to go all the way back to like 8030, you know, Christ, Calvary, the cross. Like that that's where, you know, that's where I want to be. Um and it's like no, I'm not interested in um in turning back the time machine, you know, 11 years. That's that's not, you know, like Obama said that marriage is between a man and a woman, you know, before a second term. Like so so yeah, like oh yeah, we need to fight against trans and kids, and we need to fight against medical tyranny, and we need to fight against BLM, and we need to fight against. All, and I'm super grateful for that because some of these guys are fighting better than Christians. To be fair, I want to say that like I think Matt Walsh has put up more of a fight on these issues than most Christians have. He's displayed more courage. He's he's displayed more creativity and and strategy. Um, I. Like the what is a woman? Yeah, like I agree with Jason Whitlock. I, I would have liked to see some more Jesus in that, um, but he did more damage with that than than just about any you know Protestant Christian that I know. And I like to think that Matt Walsh is a Christian because here's the deal: if you're a good Catholic, you're a bad Christian. That's what makes me sad for Michael Knowles because I like Michael Knowles, but he's a really yeah. good Catholic. You know, he knows yeah. his Catholic doctrine. But if you're a bad Catholic. Yeah. You don't even really know what Catholics believe. You've yeah. got potential to be a good Christian Protestant. And I think that's Matt Walsh. So anyways, all that being said, my point though is like these guys are, I think they're fighting these battles better. And 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 we could learn, not only can we partner, we can honor and 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 learn uh, from yeah. them. But the problem is they're, they're going to, um, we can partner with them all the way back to 2011. And then we're on our own from there because they don't, they're not really interested in going any further back than that. You know, and so so you're absolutely right. Uh, but as we continue going all the way back to Christ, um, we can still keep being ecumenical with each other as as brothers. Um, and 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 it, you know, it, like we, it, I do think that this Christian nationalist movement, I think it's going to be a thing, and uh, and and I think it does need to be a a big tent. It needs to include um, every every different tribe within you know the big tent of Christ. Um, that like, yeah, we're, we're on the same team. We're fighting for the, the same stuff. It needs to be ecumenical. Um, it, it, guys need to not quibble and, um, and be unnecessarily quarrelsome and fighting about, um, you know, minor things. Um, I think we need to, to be able to link arms and across the aisle on those kinds of things, but that's, but we need to know where that, where that stops. It's like yeah. we're ecu- uh, being ecumenical where, where that ends and, and it ends, um, with with people who hate Jesus, yeah, and that yeah. I think that's what you're saying is like, um, yeah, it ends when when somebody is uh, saying, hey, it's it's great that uh, that two dudes are adopting two little girls. Like, okay, that, we're not on this same team. Yeah, I completely agree. I completely agree. All right, man. Any final words, Samuel? I really appreciate you coming on. Oh no, I've enjoyed it. Uh, final words, man. We've had we've address so many things i'm not even sure what to say uh, <laughs> i'm just i'm just i'm you know I, I said to you in person when we uh got together in buffalo uh two months ago i appreciate what you're doing man um you know i'm i have some friends who listen to you and they're like hey sam you know uh joel I'm like, yeah. <laughs> yeah so no i so i'm just grateful that you'd have me on i really am and just have a good conversation so um so yeah that's really it and i guess if people want to follow me as well too they can follow me on social media at slow to write and also especially my blog slow to write.com especially you know since i might get canceled on social media at some point anyways they can always find me on my blog at slow to write.com cool and and uh what you've told me offline is that you're 
planning you and your is it going to be you and your wife or just you with the yeah, podcast me and your wife yeah so awesome. yeah we're working on a podcast um you know a, a lot of sometimes it will just be me but for certain topics i'll bring her on and we'll you know uh, we'll we'll talk about what i think hopefully will be interesting topics mm-hmm. great well you know i the fact that you've got grace to you coming after you, but then you also got, you know, guys who are theonomists like me and they're, you know, or you got Canon, you know, saying, Hey, we published one of your books or this or that. Like, um, I think part of that speaks to guys being ecumenical, but I think part of that speaks to, um, the fact that you're just, you're kind of, you're a kind person and people like you. We, we extend you, you got guys on other sides of the aisle, extending opportunities to you, um, because you're kind. And we don't offer those same opportunities to each other because we're jerks sometimes, you know what I mean? Like we just, we, and, and so I feel like you're picking the right fight. It's, I don't want to say you're nice because niceness really shouldn't be the virtue that it is. You're kind. Kindness is a fruit of the spirit because what you just said about Candace Owens was, was not nice. But, you know what <laughs> yeah. I mean? But you're, yeah. but you're kind. Yeah. So like you, you've got the spine, you're willing to fight, but I think you're, you're picking your battles carefully. And I think sometimes we just, Guys bite off. They they pick too many fights too too soon, and they and they start fighting with everybody, and then they just it just pitters out. And and uh, so you're an inspiration to me in that regard because I I want to I want to learn from you, and I and I want to learn I want to learn what you know. I want to learn your history. I want to learn some of your theology, but I also um, I want to uh, continue to learn some of your character. I think you got good wow. character, Samuel. So. Wow, that's that's yeah. Wow, that's an incredibly yeah. That's I don't know what to say. Yeah, you're very kind. Cool. Thank you for that. I'm very grateful. Um, yeah. Cool. So, All right, man. Well, God bless. And for everybody listening, I, I hope this was helpful. And I'm sorry we didn't get to more questions. That question about ancestors. Uh, that's where that's where it went off the rails. Yeah. I, I, th- I think we went on. I, we we went on this whole expedition, you know, about race and and we kind of like kinism. We were kind of beating around the bush yeah. with that, you know, all this kind of. But man, I I feel like it was good. I'm biased. No, I enjoyed it. I really did. And I, I don't remember the other questions, but we I'm I'm sure we probably touched on that in some degree, anyways, throughout sure that conversation. So it was good. Cool. All right. God bless, man. Thanks. You too. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening. But real quick. Before you go, do us a small favor, take a moment, and leave us a five-star review if you enjoyed the show. This is undoubtedly the best way that you can help us get this biblically faithful content to as many people as possible. Thanks so much.